the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, you know that I often say I won't buy things if they're made in China. I have some really important reasoning behind that. We're going to talk about that next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Well, some of you may remember a while back we had Ennis Cantor Freedom on the show. He's the former NBA, well, hopefully still current NBA player without a team right now because he's made some waves about not buying things made in China. He talks very openly about the slavery used uh, in these forced labor camps in China. And I I had Ennis on because I'm a big believer in not buying things that say made in China on them. I just won't do it. This started for me a few years back when I realized what was going on. And so in order to make it more clear for people, I thought we should have an expert on to tell us exactly what goes on in these forced labor camps, how this all works, and why you may want to start checking your labels a little more closely. Michael Sobolik is with the American Foreign Policy Council, and it's great to have you and your expertise with us, Michael. Um, how, how did you become interested in all of this sort of policy having to do with China and, and trade with China and the rest? So, uh, Michelle, first of all, it's a real pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. So the the focus on China's forced labor started, I don't know, probably five years back or so. I was a Senate staffer at the time. I I was working Asia policy for Senator Ted Cruz for Texas at the time. Uh, I'm currently at a think tank in DC now. But when I was on the Hill, we started getting these reports about the suppressed minority, religious minority in the Western part of China this group, uh, Uyghurs, are, are ethno, uh, ethnically Turkic, and they're religiously Muslim, overwhelmingly. And we started getting these reports that the Chinese Communist Party was starting to round them up systematically and put them in what we would euphemistically call re-education camps. They bear a striking similarity to the concentration camps that the Nazis used in World War II for the Jews. And we learned over time that it was more than just this mass imprisonment campaign and even more than a mass ideological indoctrination campaign, which it is. China is using Uyghurs uh, and other religious minorities in slave labor conditions. 
in Xinjiang. They started doing this a few years back. And we started to realize, thanks to the scholarship of some great folks based in Germany, uh, Adrian Zenz among them, that a lot of these global supply chains that Americans rely on every single day, stuff that's made from tomatoes, cotton, uh, solar panel technology, a lot of these critical supply chains not only run through this region where this is happening, a territory called Xinjiang, a lot of it starts there with the manufacturing and the mining and the production. So a lot, this is more than just a marginal issue. This is a systemic risk that every American has when they go to buy something. To your point, Michelle, made in China in a lot of cases equates to made with slave labor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, if there's any slave labor in China, it, it affects something somewhere. It, it just does by the very nature of the fact that you can use this slave labor. And so maybe in other places, you don't have to spend as much on something. It's all, it's all intertwined and it's all disgusting, frankly. What is it that the Communist Party in China has against these Uyghurs? Why are they considered a minority worth taking advantage of or re-educating for that matter? Gosh, so th there's a there's an ideological component and then there's a geopolitical component. Ideologically, the Chinese Communist Party is an atheist regime, like every other communist government in history. It cannot accept any source of authority or truth outside of the party. And this is something that's very fundamental to China that is, I think, really important for Americans to understand, we tend to think of all these nations as operated and governed by governments. But in China, it's a little different. They are governed by a political party. It's not really a government that runs China. There are government organizations, there are functions of government, but the single entity of the Chinese Communist Party runs everything. And they have these demands on everyone in China, one of them being that you accept the total authority of the party, not just politically, but across all of life. So when you have any active religious entity, be it Muslim, Christian, or others, that is a threat to the security of the party as the ultimate arbiter of power and truth. So that's why the Muslim, uh, this Muslim group, the Uyghurs in particular, pose a threat just by their existence. But geopolitically, it matters because they're located in this far western region in, of Xinjiang, which is China's gateway to the rest of Eurasia. Central Asia is right on the other side of Xinjiang. Then if you keep going west, you hit the Middle East and ultimately you hit Europe. These trade routes are critical for what China is trying to do with its economic growth and its foreign policy in the 21st century. And in order for them to secure their geopolitical interests and the trade routes they want to build, the party is seeking to have total control in Xinjiang. That means, from the party's perspective, oppressing the Uyghurs to the point of them committing a genocide because they want to have absolute unchallenged control over this territory. So it's more than just an ideological dispute. Uh, this is 
hard, hard knuckled politics to the point of China uh, committing genocide here. I, I often wonder why the United States and other countries aren't more vociferous about this. It seems as though we hear about it now and then. Someone will touch on it. You'll hear Uyghur. You'll hear genocide. But it's such a massive issue to me, in my mind, because it does touch so many of our products here in the United States. And yeah, it's an what we call an inconvenient truth, right? Because and I've talked to 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 companies uh, ranging from Target to a, a high end clothing manufacturer who find ways to justify having their stuff made in China. They'll say that, look, you know, have you ever been to a Chinese factory? Do you really know what you're saying? Do you know what goes on there? And but this ideology, as you just talked about, would seem to me that I don't need to go to the factory. And by the way, if I scheduled a tour, I'm sure they'd make it look really nice for my arrival. Exactly. So why why is this not getting the kind of attention, especially from America, who abhors our history, rightly so, with slavery. I think there are two things, Michelle. On the one hand, there's this long-standing belief that we've had in our country that free trade equals good trade, and that any sort of policy position that challenges free trade is a bad policy position. And I think the rise of China and the belligerent, abhorrent nature of the Chinese Communist Party is challenging that assumption. Because from the moment the Berlin Wall fell at the end of the Cold War, we thought we could trade our adversaries into becoming democracies, that if they would change economically, they'd have to change politically. In the case of China, that clearly hasn't happened. So I think there's an unwillingness for American companies that make a lot of money off of free trade with China to ignore these atrocities, these atrocities because, I mean, let's face it, they're making a lot of money off of their trade with China. But there's another component that is more political, which is the Biden administration uh, talks about this issue to their credit. They do. And they've introduced some good policies about it. But in key moments when the Biden administration had an opportunity to lean in and really support policies that would make it harder for these slave labor produced products to enter the United States, they not only sat back, they lobbied Capitol Hill against those provisions. And the reason they did that is because the Biden administration cares deeply about its climate change agenda. And if you have solar panels that are made in Xinjiang by forced labor, what does that do to the president's climate agenda? It imperils it because the president is relying heavily on solar power for his domestic climate agenda to move forward. And you see John Kerry talk about this all the time. So again, it's not that they don't care, but the really kind of sad reality is that they have higher priorities in some cases. And that's a big problem. A massive problem. Higher priorities than saying, no, we're not going to support a country that is committing genocide and forcing labor on human beings. Um, we're talking with Michael Sobolik, and this is fascinating. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about another huge company 
And I think some of their reasonings for keeping a good relationship with the Communist Party of China, Chinese Communist Party, whatever you want to call it, I almost don't care. Uh, and that is Nike. We'll talk about that right, right when we come back. So I have a, a handful of favorite U.S. presidents, George Washington, Abe Lincoln, and Ronald Reagan is right there with them. And he once said, all great change in America starts at the dinner table. And all great dinner table meals should start with some sort of protein, if you ask me. And where I go is Good Ranchers. Because when I order from Good Ranchers, I know that the meat I'm getting, the seafood, the chicken, it's all grown, harvested right here in the United States. And you'd be surprised to find out that that's not true for everyone. Good Ranchers delivers a 100% American meat experience to your door. They guarantee the meat is born, raised, and harvested here in the U.S. so you know where it comes from and who you're supporting. You're already buying meat, so why not buy it in a way that strengthens the American farmers? Supporting American causes can feel great, and it also really tastes good with Good Ranchers. Maybe it feels overwhelming to get everyone to the dinner table at the same time, but Good Ranchers makes it easy. You just go into the freezer, grab out the individually packaged beef, chicken, or seafood, and season it a little bit with salt and pepper, throw it on the grill, throw it in the oven, whatever you want. It's going to be good every single time. Good Ranchers is a company that supports American agriculture and business. They support us and what we do, so we love supporting them. Make sure to use my code TAFOYA, T-A-F-O-Y-A, to get $30 off your order plus free express shipping. That is quite a savings. Make gatherings at the dinner table common again with Good Ranchers. Take advantage of this offer before it's gone. Go to goodranchers.com slash Tafoya to start bringing people to the table, creating change in America, and eating delicious foods from Good Ranchers. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So, Michael, in my past life, I covered sports. And so, uh, you know, I, I can't help but talk about LeBron James. And, and he's not the only athlete. Look, Tiger Woods have these connections with Nike. A massive amount of money tied to these endorsements, right? These guys are making a fortune. And a lot of what Nike manufactures is manufactured in China. And by the way, when you look at the label, um, it may say made in China. It also may, may say made in PRC, People's Republic of China. It's the same thing. So don't be fooled by PRC. So... The, one of the reasons I think it's so important for Nike and the NBA and some of these 
companies, corporations, entities to keep good relationships with China is the massive audience they have there too. It's a massive population that they want to buy their shoes and to watch their games. That's that I have a problem with that. What, what do you see? What, what have I got wrong? If anything there? So, okay, you, you meant, first of all, nothing. You mentioned LeBron James. That reminds me of this episode. Back in 2019, there were these rising protests in Hong Kong from the people who lived there because the Chinese Communist Party was beginning to crack down on the city and imperil the freedoms that Hong Kong, unique freedoms that Hong Kong had enjoyed for decades. And the the uh, former owner of the Houston Rockets, Daryl Morey, tweeted out support for the protesters in Hong Kong. Right. He was a general uh, manager, not an owner, but that's that's okay. Go ahead. No, you're correct. No, you're absolutely correct. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Just want to so, get that, that straight. Go ahead. Yeah, yes. So when, when Daryl Morey tweeted that, uh, the, the pushback from China was immense, and a lot of pressure was directed on the NBA yeah. to fire Daryl Morey and for him to delete his tweet and all that stuff. LeBron James... Uh, made some comments to the press. And what LeBron said was he didn't believe Daryl Morey was educated <laughs> on the issue. Yeah. Uh, this is the same problem that we have in this context with forced labor in Xinjiang. You have these athletes that have some of the biggest platforms in the whole world. Uh, it, it, an example of someone using it for good is Ennis Cantor Freedom. Right. An example of someone using it for bad is LeBron. Because as you say, Michelle, he has a vested financial interest in ignoring all of this. Nike is knee deep in complicity with uh, forced labor in China because of the supply chain of cotton. Uh, and you have these players and you have an organization like the NBA that is caught between their own financial interests and them knowing that they're going to get really bad press if they crack down on their own employees to placate a communist regime. And what we've seen is a lot of tepid response from organizations like the NBA, when in reality, they should be a lot more forward leaning on standing on the side of, you know, not being complicit in this stuff. Yeah. Well, you talk about cotton, and certainly Nike uses a lot of it in its product. There have got to be other places that they can get this. Am I wrong about that? Or is it, 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 it is this such a unique uh, commodity to China that they can't go somewhere else? Or now is it just that they're in so knee deep, as you mentioned, that it would be really bad for them to go anywhere else in terms of their business dealings? So it, it's not that they can't go anywhere else. It, it's that the cost of redirecting the supply chain that is so located and dependent on China and specifically in Xinjiang, that cost will be high. It will be a very high cost. And the challenge for Nike as a corporation is they have competitors. And if they're the only company that takes that step to move out of, to move their supply chains out of China, but their competitors don't, that puts Nike at an economic disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, the, from the perspective of uh, the shareholders of Nike, that's not good. That's not a best practice. So this is why 
we cannot rely on corporations or private companies to fix this problem. There's this this dilemma of being the first actor because you put yourself at a disadvantage. The government has to be the one to require companies to do this, which they have begun to do, but there's still a lot more work to be done. Okay. Uh, this is just incredible. And you, you've put it so well that the cost is so high and to be the first, it, it would put a company and its shareholders at a big disadvantage. And certainly we can understand that. And I'm a pro business person and all of that, but then it makes me mad to hear, well, the government's got to do it, but they're not doing it. Um, it, it to the extent that we need to do that. So we're going to get more into that after this quick break because this is insane. And it, it, it seems to me that we're weak on this, but I, we'll, we'll let Michael Sobolik straighten me out on that if I'm wrong right after this. I can't overemphasize that since November of last year, the stock market has just gone in the tank. Gold, though, gold's been on the rise. I mean, you look at gas prices, they're horrible. The stock market is all over the map. And now we have this inflation at a 40-year high, plus a war between Russia and Ukraine. All this instability, markets don't like it. But the good news is you have options. Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy precious metals is the only company I trust to invest in gold and silver. You need an investment that's going to protect your wealth and your retirement. So do this for yourself. Call Legacy Precious Metals today. There's no investment too small, too large, whatever. You need precious metals in your portfolio. You want to be proactive while there's still time. 2008, those who invested in gold saw huge gains. Other people... They lost their retirements in many cases. It was very, very sad. Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all of your options for investing in gold and silver. And you can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. All right, Michael, I want to read you something that that, uh, John Kerry said. This is an interview published um, in Foreign Policy. Right now, climate is enough of an imperative for all of our countries. China doesn't benefit by not having America as a partner in dealing with climate. And the United States doesn't benefit from not having China as a partner in climate. So we're just disciplined. We have differences on economic rules, on cyber We have other differences on human rights, geostrategic interests, but those differences do not have to get in the way of something that is critical, is as critical as dealing with climate. And China made that decision. When I was in China the other day, we negotiated back and forth in good faith, which is kind of funny. We didn't have to insult each other or shout at each other. We had a serious, tough conversation but we managed to find a place and a way to be able to agree and move forward. So we have differences on human rights, geostrategic interests, but those differences do not have to get in the way of something that is as critical as dealing with climate. Um, 
what's your reaction to that? I'll just start and let you let you go. Yeah. Uh, so I remember when John Kerry said that, and this gets us into a point of this conversation that we haven't really talked about yet, which is what is China trying to accomplish? Because right, we see there, them yeah. committing a genocide. We see them have the, the, this issue of forced labor, slave labor, and, and, and all this off, these awful things. But what is it leading towards? And I think this is what people like John Kerry miss. John Kerry, and I would argue even President Biden, believe that you can cooperate and compete with an adversary simultaneously. But if you listen to what the Chinese Communist Party has made very clear, China has no interest at all in living in a world that America made and a world in which America is the predominant power. China is trying to unseat the United States as the global leader. And if you want a preview of what that type of world will look like, take a look at what life inside of China is like right now. Because the best indicator of how a nation will rule as a superpower is how they rule their own people. And that's a very bleak outlook. But when you have someone like John Kerry talk about how you can negotiate in good faith, even while you have these differences on things like human rights, you are overlooking the main substance of, of what is reality. He can believe that he negotiated in good faith, but that doesn't make it so. <laughs> right, right. Uh, that, that's why I had to chuckle after he said we negotiated in good faith. Really? Yeah. How do you know that, Mr. Carey? Um, yeah, so uh, we've also talked in the past on this podcast about China doing something called sports washing, and that is, you know, having the Olympics, which the Olympic Games have been there twice, 2008, and then again, the Winter Games recently. And I, I, I want to go to the IOC and say, why are you giving them this stage to pretend as though they're this beautiful, well-ordered, I guess they're well-ordered because they don't have a choice, country that is just lovely and beautiful and... Uh, there are things that can be true. It can be a pretty place to look at, but how did it become so, you know, and, and the people can be very lovely, but why are they acting that way? Is that out of their own choice? And, and to support that kind of a government or have a relationship that is congenial and even cooperative when, as you said, their, their whole, their whole goal now is to become the preeminent world power it is is dangerous. Let me let me ask you a question, and I, I'm got, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a word here, Michael. Be ready, Trump. Okay, I said it. When Trump was in office, he seemed to be more aggressive toward China. What? How were his policies different, if at all, from the Biden's approach, the Biden administration approach? It's a great question. So I I break up. Donald Trump's China policy into two phases. The first phase ran roughly from his inauguration in 2017 up until COVID, let's say. And during that time, the president's, the former president's primary priority was getting a trade deal negotiated with China. He campaigned on that openly and explicitly, and he put a lot of his energy with China into securing that trade deal that he signed 
uh, at the White House with uh, the Chinese representative in January of 2020. Then when COVID came, uh, let's all briefly remember where COVID came from, came from China. Mm -hmm. And it, it was, I think, a shock, not just to the Trump administration, but to the entire American political system that what we have been doing with China for the past four decades is not only not working, but it is beginning to hurt us. China could have contained COVID. They chose not to, and Americans died. People died around the world. And what you saw in the final year of Donald Trump's term, uh, presidential term, was his entire political apparatus shift from trying to have a cooperative relationship with China while also looking at the bad things China was doing, there was this fundamental shift where suddenly the entire apparatus of the United States national security establishment was in competition mode with China. You saw this across the board from the, from the Department of State to the Department of Defense uh, to the Commerce Department across the board. You saw the Trump administration go after Huawei which is a private company that masquerades as telecommunications. It's really an intelligence gathering body for China. Trump administration went hard after Huawei. You saw them go hard after China on crackdowns in Hong Kong uh, and a slew of other things too. So uh, I credit the Trump administration for really being the first, uh, the first leadership in America's history uh, to really see China for what it is, the Chinese Communist Party for what it is, and to respond appropriately. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for some of the good policies that we've been seeing. Yeah, it's. I, I wonder, though, now, has it been wasted? In other words, you've got this new, this different approach. Um, how do you see the State Department, the Department of Defense, are there people deep in those departments that really do get this, that understand? Because that's what I'm wondering. Is there anyone besides you, besides me, that cares deeply enough about what China's interests are and what their goals are to protect the United States of America and and our allies from this really hostile uh, approach, aggressive approach from China? Yes. Uh, the answer is a firm and resound yes. And if you want insight into that, uh, one of the best journalists in Washington is a guy named Josh Rogan, who's at the Washington Post. And he wrote a book about the Trump administration's China policy, and it's called Chaos Under Heaven. I would highly recommend it as a great source for you, for your listeners, because it answers your question, Michelle, of who else in D.C. gets this? And I think as Josh makes very clear in very persuasive fashion, a lot of people, I think there's a lot of, I think there's so many good reasons to be optimistic about the path forward for China policy. Now, that, that's not to downplay the cross-cutting currents, because as you and I just discussed, the Biden administration is very divided on this. There are some great people in the Biden administration, some of whom I know personally who get this. There are many others who not only don't get it, they actively work to subvert good China policy. So it's, it is and why a would contentious they do that? issue. Why would they do that? Why would they want to subvert good China policy? 
I think for the same reason, John Kerry cares more about climate change than a genocide. Uh, Think back to when President Biden had just, uh, I I think it was early January 21, right before President Biden was inaugurated. He said in no uncertain terms, my first priority is climate change. Mm -hmm. If you have a president who says that, uh, but you also have a president who says simultaneously, I am putting uh, human rights at the center of my foreign policy. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to pick and choose in some cases. Look at December of last year, uh, going back to slave labor. The Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act is is a law that was going through Congress, uh, bipartisan piece of legislation, that would make it harder for these forced labor products to reach our market here in America. The Biden administration, specifically State Department officials, were lobbying against that bill because at the same time, keep in mind, the top priority for Biden is climate, and they were in the middle of intense climate negotiations. Uh, so it's it, it, this is what happens when you believe that you can cooperate with your adversary, you right. disadvantage yourself and you strengthen your opponent. Yeah. It's very myopic and it's very frustrating. And that is one of the biggest hurdles that the China hawks, if you want to call us that, the, the, the folks in D.C. who really see China for uh, the party, for who they are, that's what we're butting up against right now. It's amazing. And you... you you gave me a little spark of hope with this notion that there are a lot of people and you're resounding. Yes. That people understand and get it and, and want to do the right things at the same time. I remain frustrated, but I think that's a good thing because it's going to keep me going. I, I'm going to continue to bring this topic to light. It's really, I just, it makes my head want to explode, but I'll, I'll keep it on the rails, Michael. And, um, I hope we can have you back because I learned so much and you explained it so well. You ought to teach this stuff. Do you teach anywhere? <laughs> I, I, I really, thank you. That's very kind. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to uh, start being an adjunct professor on the side in the next few months. So potentially Good. soon, Good. but uh, I, I really, I, I think it's so important not for those of us in, in the wonky nerdy community to not just get the inside baseball, but it's important to know how to talk about this stuff because it's not just an inside baseball thing. These are human lives that are enslaved and we are connected to it through our consumption and through our policies. So Michelle, I'm, I'm grateful to you for highlighting this and I'm grateful for your approach and how you, and how you do so, because this is, it is a bipartisan issue. Yes, but there are also some people who are really responsible for this continuing to be an issue. And I think it deserves a ton of attention. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm so glad we've had you on and I hope to do it again, Michael. Um, and I'll look forward to hearing about your career and becoming an adjunct professor. People can learn a lot from this. And it's so important that we know and that we get it and we understand how our daily lives impact human lives in other places. So appreciate it. Uh, this has been Sideline Sanity. I hope this has been a sane conversation about this that people can understand. I'm Michelle Tafoya. Do good, be brave, have courage, and don't buy stuff made in China.
Well, we always appreciate it when Charles Thorngren can join the join the podcast and talk a little money and gold in particular with us. Gold and silver. And Charles, it's these are mad times. I mean, it's just really wacky. And anyone who's watching the stock market is probably asking themselves, what do I do? I don't I don't know, you know, I'm not I don't know how to ride this roller coaster with everyone. And so obviously you recommend investing in precious metals. What's the first step that someone should take in learning about what precious metals can do for them? You know, the, the first step, um, give us a call, right? We're, we're going to show you what options there are available. Um, that's what Legacy is about, is showing you options and educating everyone. The important thing to know is that we don't invest in gold and silver because it's pretty or because it's it's unique. Those things are true, but we do it because it has the history of being the true diversity for someone's portfolio. It's the insurance policy against everyone's retirement and their uh, their savings. So, so this is why we look at, at gold and silver specifically. It's the currency that was always meant to be, right? It's not a fiat currency. There's no um, inflationary effect on it. Gold and silver are going to be worth what they're worth. The thing that changes with everything is the amount of dollars it takes to buy that gold and silver and the amount of dollars you get for owning that gold and silver. That's the big key. And this is what people don't understand about it typically is that it is not the stock market and it is not the dollar. It's an investment that is counter to both of those. So it gives you true diversity and balance is what everyone's looking for right now. They just don't know it as inflation gets higher this is where gold and silver come in. Someone is saying, okay, I want to do this, but I want to choose one or the other. When they call you and ask you these questions, when would you recommend gold and when would you recommend silver? You know, that's a great question. And what a lot of people wind up doing is actually doing a little of both because that's possible, right? But it's going to depend on your specific investment parameters. And that's one of the things we're going to do that we're we're different from your typical stockbroker because we're not going to say this is what all my customers are doing because that's not what's important. What's important is what matters to you and your portfolio. When is your retirement coming up? What are you looking to accomplish? Right. What are your risks? What are what are your what are your safety features that you need? So there's a lot that goes into it. And what we do here is, is talk with you. Right. Our, our big thing is to educate you so that you understand why you're doing it as well as in what form and fashion, because that's important. It is important. And I think, too, that people, people probably think uh, I'm a small investor. This is not for me. I can't I can't afford to do this. I can't afford to do this at a level that will benefit me to them. You would say what? Um, I don't think you can afford not to. If you have money saved and you're not flush with cash, it's more important than ever for you to make sure that you put yourself in a protective situation, right? You have less to lose, so you should not lose it. It's really, you know, it's it's not about how much money you have or don't have. It's about how much protection you need. And if you don't have a, a very large portfolio, then you probably need it more than the guy who does because you can't afford that loss. And look at what the market's done over the course of the year. We are talking about a situation where the loss is extravagant and it's not done yet. This is why we look at 
uh, precious metals to counter that. And lastly, Charles, for those who fear that a recession may already be here or is coming, what do you tell them about how in a recession this investment helps out? Great question. A um, couple answers there. We are in a recession, um, but the reality is it's not going to get bad for a few more months. Then it's really going to be bad. What we see happen next year is going to be devastating. Just think 2007, 2008, right? The troubles with 2008 happened in 2007. It just took time for it to hit the market in a real sense. And this is what we see. You know, we have inflationary numbers that rival the 80s. Um, that's something that's going to be dramatic. So when we look at this, we say, why do we want to do it? And, and that's exactly why. It helps because it's not the dollar and it's not the stock market, right? This is the safe haven investment. And if you look at long-term wisdom, that's what metals do. They give you a place to store your wealth without the effects of inflation, right? Inflation is good for your metals. The stock market correcting is good for your metals. Uh, a weak economy is better for your metals. So that's what it's meant to do. And that's why it has its place in the economy. We're talking about a worst case scenario right now, but even under the best of terms, the government tells you two to 3% inflation is a good thing. And at two or 3%, it doesn't sound bad, right? But over the course of your retirement and your lifetime investing, if you go 40 years, you've lost over 120% of value of your dollar by not having metals. So even in the best of times, there should be some in your portfolio. And during the worst, you really want to make sure you get a hold of somebody who can explain why and show you what options you have. Yeah, that's why we love to recommend Legacy Precious Metals on our show, Sideline Sanity. So the website is LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. You can also go to the website and find the phone number to call, learn a whole lot more it's just worth asking some questions, right? A quick phone call and getting more information about everyone's specific situation. Absolutely. We're a no pressure organization. Everyone who contacts us, they reach out to us. We share information. If it's right for you, great. If it's not, that's great too. Learning something never hurt anybody. No, that is true. And we're <laughs> glad we had you on to learn something from you today, Charles Thorngren. Again, it's LegacyPMInvestments.com. Please go check them out. Just ask some questions. Learn a little something. Thank you so much, Charles. My pleasure. Thank you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.